this is clearly a, an environment where uh, lots of things might change in, in the coming uh, in the coming months or, or on year. And uh, actually, I think that uh, the benefits of a strategy like CTAs is you're going to they're going to adapt. They, they have no bias or constraints that force them uh, away from those potential opportunities. That's the great thing about our strategies. You know, uh, if you're a long-only equity manager, there, there are situations where there's nowhere to hide. On the opposite, uh, 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 CTAs might be much more flexible and uh, able to, 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 to navigate. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their product before you make investment decisions. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Top Traders Unplugged, where today Alan Dunn and I are joined by Guillaume Jamy, co-founder and co-CIO at Mitori Capital Management, as part of our mini-series focusing on the one investment strategy that beat everything else in 2022, namely trend-following and managed futures more broadly. First off, Guillaume, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us today. We really have been looking forward to this uh, conversation. How are things in Paris this morning? Oh, I mean, uh, fine. We have some protest, actually, but that's that's life in France, as we discuss. <laughs> exactly, that is that is life in France. Now, before we dive into all the topics, Guillaume, that we're going to be talking about uh, today, I would love to set the stage a little bit for our conversation, so that the audience knows a bit about your firm's background. So, perhaps you could share just a few highlights from its history, evolution, what type of strategies you focus on, and also where the business stands today. Yeah, okay. Uh, so clearly we are a, a quantitative CTA manager uh, based in Paris. Uh, Metori as a company started in, in 16 as, a, as a, I would say, a, a, a spin-off of uh, the alternative fund platform of Flixor. But the program is, uh, is a bit more older because it started in a subsidiary, the Epsilon program, the program we manage, it started in '94 in, a subsi in other, another subsidiary of Stockgen. So it's a, in a way, it's a long story. And me and the co-founder, we started to be in charge or connected to the Epsilon program as far as '11, and then a bit later there was a spin-off. Today we we have a bit more than uh, 800 million dollar uh, in uh, AUM and uh, a, a subsidiary also in China. So we're close to 25 people, and we are fully. Uh, committed to to this uh, one strategy, uh, which is deep trend following. Which is great. That's what we love to hear on this podcast, Guillaume. Now, um, as you probably know, uh, 
today's conversation is going to be, you know, a list of different topics that we often get asked and also that we find interesting, um, but we may not have time to discuss all of them. So what we plan to do is just to pick a few along uh, the way and and just take it from there, really. And as we normally do, Alan, why don't you uh, kick off with the first topic? Great. Uh, good, good morning, Guillaume. Thanks um, for, for joining us. I guess we normally like to start to, um, by, by getting a sense of you know, the investment philosophy of the manager. And, and I guess, how, how was it that you came to focus on a trend-following strategy? You know, what is it? Is your belief about markets and how they operate that that, that uh, brings you to, to kind of focusing on trend-following as a core strategy? Uh, okay, uh, so I, I can make a longer or short answer because the, the, how, I, how I ended being a CTA manager uh, is, is a long story and it was not clear from the, from the start that they would do that. Uh, I'm a pure mathematician at, at first, more directed toward academic world and uh, for uh, many reasons, some connected to money, I moved to the finance around the 2000s and I was more in the derivative business, okay, uh, the, the complex models, uh, stochastic calculus and, and all those things and it was a very interesting period. I, I witnessed the GSC, by the way, from a nice point of view and later i moved uh, around 2010 i moved to fund management at Lixor and quantitative fund management obviously given my background and in 11 i had the opportunity to to connect and be included into the 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 epsilon program at the responsible uh, head of research and at that time nicola our co-founder was cio of Lixor, and we we had the same i would say engineer, mathematical background, and we are, we are very interested by, by, by strategies in general because, you know, maybe it's something obvious, or I don't know, when you come from the, the world of uh, quantitative finance, interestingly, you're not interested at the, at the expected return. You're interested at understanding how risk change, you know, the correlations, the forward volatilities, and, and so on. Well, obviously, you know that people come to market because of the expected return. So there is something very strange that in the derivative world, you don't want to predict expect return, you don't care because you edge them actually. So we 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 came, I mean, we came to the world of asset management with a, with a strange background that you, and so we were very, we had a very fresh look, obviously. We, uh, I think that uh, when with this back, with this scientific background, something like trend following make, make the most sense because the, the, that, that you need to have a, a, a risk premium, I mean, an expected return in front of a risk is 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 a necessary condition for for market to exist. Nobody would take risk without expected return. So, the next stage when you're mathematically inclined is how should I measure that? Because the market, I have the full thing in the market. I have the I have the expected return. I have the trends plus the risk. I have to kind of filter them in and out. And it's a very natural and scientific problem. Actually, it's called. Uh, stochastic filtering or whatsoever and and this is and, and and when you discover market with this angle and i know it's not the majority of market participants that, that see the world like that you understand transferring at this sort of filtering problem okay interesting and i mean many people would say trend following is fairly simple idea of you you know you're you're, you're basically 
buying prices, uh, price series that, that are going up or going down. I mean, obviously, you, you come from a bit more of a, a, a complex um, mathematical perspective. Um, do you think that is necessary or is that just an additional kind of perspective to bring to, to, to the risk management in, in particular or also to the kind of signal generation? I think the, the intuition uh, behind trend following, you don't need all those maths to, to see that sometimes uh, market are consistently going into one direction and maybe maybe it's even more that says, okay, and it lasts long enough so that when I, I see that trend, I, I, I will benefit from it lasting a bit more because the problem is that obviously when you enter, you may... So you, you, you can have that very uh, intuitive or uh, basic observation, then the, the, the name on the game is going to measure things and, and decide when, when it is a trend, how strong it is. So like many things, I mean, I, I have a father that is an architect and obviously people have been building houses and bridge and stuff much before uh, engineering and physics and they were quite okay. It doesn't mean that I think engineering add, add a bit to, to the, the the world of building, as simple as that, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the, there's plenty of kind of sources of, of potential return, but but have you focused more on the pure trend following or is the philosophy trend plus other strategies? Yeah, we are pure trend in the sense that, yes, we don't want to add uh, other sort of carry uh, and stuff like that. Uh, this being said, the, the, the pure trend thing, I, I'm a bit uncomfortable because, again, it... it add to the idea that trend following is simple. And I think that doing it right is not simple. Uh, so so uh, I don't like the word simple. It, it's almost synonymous to cheap, which is something I would not. <laughs> so, and I, I, I truly think it's not, it's not simple. Uh, so, but, but yes, no, no carry to, to be clear on that. But we believe also that taking into account correlation, which is an important ingredient of trend following, adds a loss of complexity and value if you do it right. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you clearly come with a scientific background, so you will probably dismiss uh, the next term, uh, Guillaume, that I'm going to bring up. Um, and that's the sharp ratio. Um, we've referenced the paper that Cliff Asnes and, and his colleagues uh, wrote uh, last year. And uh, it kind of raises a few questions, uh, such as, you know, what are the true mandates really of, of CTAs, etc., etc. But to, to make it very simple, what it comes down to, and, and this is probably something that you don't think is a good idea in general for investors to do, but most investors look at the sharp ratio as some kind of measure of quality, uh, even in the CTA world. But the real question comes, at least in, in, in our minds, this thing about, well, whose sharp ratio should we then be concerned about? Is it the sharp ratio of the managers? Or is it the sharp ratio of the overall portfolio of the client once you include these strategies? And I'd love to hear your, your thoughts about that. I'd love to hear um, maybe how you steer people to look at other things than the sharp, even though I have to admit it is pretty difficult um, to get away from, from that specific ratio uh, in our industry when, when people do some kind of you know analysis on, on, on the strategy. Yeah, so... So maybe I'll surprise you on that because actually I think that the the sharp ratio is is quite a good measure of of a strategy. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to 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 it's going to be difficult to find a, a different. Uh, you can add other uh, metrics which would be important, but when you only have the 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 
the track record of a fund, a strategy, I mean, it's really reasonable to start from the, the I find it reasonable to start from the, the sharp ratio. Uh, obviously, sharp ratio is the good measure of return adjusted to risk. So the first maybe thing is, are the risks well reflected into the, the volatility? I'm thinking about carry strategy. Here in carry strategy, you have a problem. If you sell, um, uh, you know, you sell the wings, you know, uh, op an, option, uh, an option game where, where you, say, you sell uh, far out of the money, for a long time, you may have no, strat no volatility on collect premium. Obviously, you would have a wonderful sharp ratio. And here you would say, well, it's because the risk of this kind of activity is not reflected into the volatility. But for a, a directional strategy with using linear instruments like a, a trend following, I, I mean, it's hard to say that you should not look at sharp ratio. I think you should. The, the other interesting thing are where come the, the returns from? So it's more about the correlation with equity market or some structural uh, correlation with other markets. Then there would be the, the question of beta and alpha, which is not an easy one. But if you are, you have no structural correlation to the main risk or markets, and you have a good sharp ratio, it looks you are quite doing a, a good job. So, so, so you are actually, you're right, you are surprising me a little bit here, uh, Guillaume, which is great. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to explore this a little bit further, in, in the sense that some people that I speak to, and, and, and I think they kind of have a point, and that is, well, we all know, of course, that the sharp ratio kind of penalizes the upside volatility. So that's always been a little bit of an issue. But the other thing is, of course, that the sharp ratio doesn't really say much about the risk of big drawdowns or the risk of completely, you know, uh, a strategy blowing up, as we've seen so many of these high sharp ratio strategies do so how do you adjust for that in your in in in, in embracing the sharp actually uh, if i understand well your question that, that the point of that sharp ratio is the measure of is, it, is is supposed to be a measure of return adjusted to risk and, and and when you use the sharp ratio you made the hypothesis that the the past realized volatility is a good indication of the risk and obviously we know that there are very specific strategies the carry strategy, huh? when you are selling insurance, selling strategy, all those sort of strategy, you are going to collect the insurance premia very consistently. So almost linear return. And you hope that a tail event or a more uh, exceptional event do not occur. And obviously, when you look at the track record, if the, the exceptional event have not been occurring into the one year, two year, three year period, you, you may, and, and you believe that the risk is encoded in the volatility for this track record. You're going a big, you're doing a big mistake. But I think that for uh, typically for for um, a strategy like a, like a, a, a CTA, you, I don't see what you could do better. I understand that they 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 are more subtle sort of risk. But for strategy using linear uh, exposure to market like future, I, I if I could jump in there, if you if you were to measure maybe the sharp of various trend following programs, you know, for the period, say 2010 to 2019, but and that would have been a decade where you didn't have, say, a major equity drawdown. And then you were to rank those trend following uh, programs on the basis of their sharp, then, you know, you might, um, some of the managers or, or programs that did, did best in terms of sharp may not then do that well once you go into maybe a 2020 type scenario or a 2022 type scenario. So I think that was kind of the the idea behind the, the Cliff Asnes paper that obviously sharp is a good measure of risk adjusted return, but it does 
doesn't tell you about this kind of second possible mandate of of of, of crisis alpha. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You. You. Thank you for reconnecting me to the the, the initial question. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I, 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 it, 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 there is this promise with with uh, trend followers. With you, are, you are talking about the, the the crisis alpha things. When you look, when you look, I look at the trend of our strategy or peers. You 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 see this crisis alpha thing that's been occurring, obviously, and it's uh, it's very present. And, and and we understand why. It's about convexity. When you do trend following, you're sort of you know, uh, implicitly, so it's again my maybe uh, option background, you're uh, all sort of rep replicating a basket of straddle, okay, some convex profile. And so obviously when things start to move quite consistently, quite strongly in some direction, you're going to adapt and, and, and catch that. So, so this is convexity and that's a, a great, really great property of uh, CTAs. But... Maybe there are type of crisis on, on situation where I would not bet that in any case CTAs would procure. They are not a hedge. You you can't claim that you are uncorrelated and claim that you are an, an edge to something that's inconsistent. Yeah, no, I, I guess I think I think the 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 the, the, the general point is around. Um, you know, obviously sharp as you say, it's it's capturing the the risk of just return. But then, as you say, um, you've got the the higher moments of the distribution, the, the, the skew, etc. And and then obviously. You know, from the whether you believe in crisis alpha or not, the characteristic of, of how well the, the program might deliver in 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 in, in a significant uh, crisis period or equity drawdown. So yeah, but uh, again, I I think that the, the what we try to achieve, at least I, I speak for for, for ourselves, have a, have a CTA a, a, a trend following that behaves as best as possible in all market regime and not only uh, wait for uh, the next equity drawdown. Uh, we don't. We don't manage. I would only say that we don't manage the fund in this perspective. We 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 believe that there are many macro surprises, lots of different sources of risk in the market, which may have their trends, and and we'll try to catch all those and diversify as much as possible. No, makes sense. So I mean, we we it's because we have spoken to other managers on on this podcast who have emphasised the more of a defensive nature to trend following than others have balanced. Um, absolute return versus uh, crisis alpha characteristics and then others like yourself who are more focused on, on the absolute return. Sorry, Neil. Yeah. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, no, I'm still, because obviously there aren't that many ratios as such, but for example, you, and I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, one, Guillaume, which is the serenity ratio. And the serenity ratio also takes into account the you know the actual drawdowns and the path dependency and so on and so forth. And I know you probably it's too complicated for most people to calculate anyway, um, and and it's not something you, you would universally uh, look at. But for say a CTA strategy, it's um, it's kind of an interesting ratio. But let's not let's not dive in too much into that. Let's jump into uh, uh, one of your uh, favorite topics or wherever you want to go, Alan. Yeah, I mean. Um Obviously, uh, Guillaume, you mentioned kind of you've been involved with the um, the, the program since I think around 20, 2010 or so, twenty eleven. You know, has how how has the program evolved over that period? Um, and you know, I guess from from a research perspective, what what have been the the things that that you found? You know, that, that where you can add value as a researcher in in a trend following program. So over this period, quite long now, the program did evolve a lot. Actually, uh, we made a, a major change and evolution of the program that was in place at the end of 12, 
where actually we, we completely uh, moved from a more maybe traditional approach where you had, you know, lots of signals and an optimization of combination of signals, which are in fact technical analysis uh, encoded into a computer, more, more, more or less. And then a, a, a quite very robust, but maybe too basic, uh, uh, you know, vol equal volatility or equal risk budget uh, allocation. And we, we, we moved to something different where the detecting trends became then a, a really a, a statistical or you could say signal factoring problems. And my conviction was that correlation should be more taken into account both at the portfolio construction stage, which people will easily uh, agree, even if not so many people really uh, account uh, for correlation or um, but also at the at the at the um, at trend detection part, because actually, if you believe that markets are connected, then wh why behaving like if as if they were not at the at the first stage? So something more statistical, and, and you know, I would say joint multivariate or all over the the investment process. This was the the major change. And then when you do this kind of systematic quantitative thing, there's always question that should be you should come back and improve. Uh, there are continuously questions that you could dig further, choice, design choice that you have made that you may challenge or improve and so on. So it's a, it's a, it's a continuous thing. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of interesting things. I mean, the signal, you know, when you say signal filtering, um, you know, how would you explain that to, that to the layman? And, and, then, and then secondly, um, you know, embedding correlation. So I, I guess in, from that perspective, you, you're, you're trying to avoid, have you know, ma making bets on, on what is effectively the same trend in, in, in multiple markets. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, trend signals, you're, you're right. They are a bit uh, buzzword and not very clearly defined. So it's expected sharp ratio. We, we want to think about expected return. And because in a CTA universe, the volatility of the market, which are so different from less than 1% volatility to maybe sometimes close to 100. It's obvious that when you want to look at this large uh, investment universe, you're going to factor the volatilities of market quite systematically. So signals mean expected sharp ratio. It's as simple as that. And, and, and then you, you choose your weapon on how to predict or estimate. And that, that's, uh, yeah. Okay, so so I mean, is that sense? Are you saying that for every signal that you're getting in each market, you're assessing the expected risk-adjusted return for, for for that individual trade? Is that it? Absolutely. Yeah, and from from the perspective of um, correlation and and kind of uh, as you say, not wanting to reflect the same broad trend and themes in in multiple um, exposures. How do you go about? Doing that is that I mean people have different techniques for looking at that. Some people say, you know, you use principal component analysis or, or group markets into, you know, or manage the 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 the, the risk by by different sectors or by by similar instruments. What's your philosophy around that? So yeah, the the philosophy is to uh, listen to to market data first, avoid any predefined sector groups or. Uh, predefine, uh, you know, budget across, I don't know, uh, anything, because you're going to severely, you're going to to create bias in your in your, in your your strategy, Yusef, and your bias may come from past experience, so you may uh, introduce, yeah. So yeah, the, this is about estimation of correlation, and actually it's, it's a difficult thing. 
so uh, lots of people talk about, about it and it's very intuitive. But when you want to have a, a, a dynamic estimate of correlation, and it's, you have to accept that this, this estimate is going to be somehow uh, noisy. But interestingly, uh, people get afraid of estimating correlation and in particular short-term correlation. And there is something very funny that everybody is almost perfectly okay to make a prediction on expected return and very afraid of making prediction of correlation. But if I could own my living by predicting uh, correlation, I think I, I would be much richer than I am today. So it's, uh, so it's very strange that people are very confident on predicting return and very shy on uh, the use of correlation. And the, the, the principles we put in place are really around challenging all those rules that were more, I would say, uh, custom than... Uh, scientific truths and, and check what is really... You know, typically you have heard that Markovitz not working. This is something you hear everywhere. Well, actually, I mean, what we did is let's look and how is it not working and maybe there are things we could fix. Uh, and this is our approach, <laughs> you know? Interesting. And, and I mean, that's what... I mean, you're right. Correlation is something that maybe doesn't get a lot, get a lot of time. Um, and everybody knows, you know, you, you can basically plug in correlation into the Excel spreadsheet to, to figure out what, what the correlation has been over a period, time period. It's not going so, uh, to work well if you do that. Indeed. Yeah, so I guess there's two things. One, one is what, what's a better technique? And, and the second thing is what's the right time frame? You know, there, there is this thing, uh, Eisenberg uncertainty principle. You, you heard of that, I think, which is that the, the, you, you want to estimate a, 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 an instantaneous quantities that you don't observe. So you would want to you would like to, to make the shortest time frame. The problem is the shorter the time frame, the higher the uncertainty and the noise around it. And, and the trade-off uh, is going to be this un unobservable quantity. How fast does it move? If it moves slowly, then you can take longer term average to cancel out noise. If it moves fast, you have to, if you believe it's moving fast, you have to accept the noise because uh, if you want to have a, you want, you want to follow the changes, these fast-moving things. So it's, it, this, is where, um, this is where you are. You, you, at some point, statistics will, won't be able to answer all the answers. You would have to, to have an assessment of, I think this is a fast-moving thing. I think so. I'm not directly answering your question. I think that for volatility of correlation, the shorter the time frame, the better at first, but then you will have lots of noise. Okay. So, no, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, I guess that's the nature of correlation that it can be, um, you know, even taking the bond equity correlation, you know, for periods it'll be negative and then suddenly switch to positive and, and then switch back again. So I guess that, that is the nature of, of correlation. And that's the, the true difficulties. That's where, where the true difficulties will come when you do this simple trend following thing is when you really want to uh, find the best way to estimate and then if you accept some noise in the estimate how to uh, limit the impact and how to limit the the overreaction on the noise and so on so that's where you start to see that it's not that simple and and in terms of estimating volatility is is it the same philosophy of look shorter look back and being more market sensitive is better as well yeah, this is uh, so. At the, yeah, this is uh, the the approach. Yeah, for for the the volatility of correlation clearly, which is very challenging in terms of portfolio construction. That's why people say that Markowitz not working, and that's why they end up taking one year of 
when you have correlation, obviously, when you do that, you, you may miss a lot of uh, change of regime. Yeah, no, just, just staying a little bit on, on kind of the strategy of the program, the design. Um, obviously, um, most strategies have to select parameters to go into the model. And I'm curious whether this is also something you've managed to completely systematize in terms of, of selecting the parameters and also changing parameters along the way from a systematic point of view. Or is there some kind of uh, decision-making process that where you have to do it kind of by committee or, or however I should say? Okay. And very, very, yeah, very, very, thank you for this question because... Yeah, I think that when you, you present yourself as systematic or quantitative, there is something unclear about it may be quantitatively assisted uh, trading or quantitatively assisted uh, portfolio management, which is fine. So you have lots of systematic and quantitative things. But on top of that, you have uh, an expertise and uh, yeah, discretionary choice. And, and I'm, I've met lots of great people uh, in this industry doing that. So... Here, when we say systematic, we really mean systematic. We really mean systematic. We, 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 the, the model we put in production, when we put it in production, this is because we believe that it is the best model with the best parameterization we know of. It would have been the best in the past. And so uh, it's not part of day-to-day -day or even of recalibrating, changing things. We... we and that's very important. The, the, the parameters are the really meta parameters, the things we, we, we the, at some point you have to make some design choice. Some universal truth that you believe in. Yes, I, I know it sounds very naive, or, but it's also, uh, it's, it's, it's more, it has more to do with the, the it has more to do with the, trying to have a, a, a scientific methodology because at the opposite, if you have, a, 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 you have a model with parameters, and, and your, your approach is that every month or every quarter, you recalibrate for that or you recalibrate from investment committee, then actually you, you, you don't have, you, can't, you cannot use backtest if you do that, you agree, because you cannot backtest your investment committee. And, and if the automatic recalibration just from data, if you will always do it the same, then you should put it, you should automate it, auto, you should it should be part of the model, and then actually you're not changing things. But usually you know that this recalibration, they are somehow discretionary. They are on-demand and on-filling and so on. Why not again? But then if you do that, you really cannot use backtest, and it's going to be quite difficult to use historical data in some way. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Now, just, just you, you've mentioned the, uh, a few times, which of course we, we all uh, agree with, um, and that is that, uh, you know, CTAs and trend following, it's not as, as easy as, as, uh, as people may want to, uh, to make it sound like. And of course, uh, this has been sort of an on and off uh, debate on our side. And that's this thing about, you know, can CTAs be replicated? And there are different approaches to that. Some people try and develop trend-following models uh, that they're happy to kind of, you know, make reasonably transparent if they want to put it in an ETF product, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are people who um, will just analyze uh, historical returns and try to replicate. Since you have uh, much more math mathematical background than I do, um, I'm just curious, um, and, 
and and also because although this episode will come out after my next conversation, my next conversation is actually going to be with the replicator. So, um, um, do you have any any views on on replication and and maybe in particular this uh, the, the the type of replication where they do some kind of regression analysis of returns to try and estimate what exposure CTAs might have? You you yeah. Uh, so this is very uh, interesting and tricky question. I think you you, um, you mentioned two very different uh, directions, which is one is sim over simplify and kind of open source, open sourced CTA in a way, and the other which is you you reverse engineering the existing manager and 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 uh, and find what they are doing. I think the problem has to do with simply with a uh, fiduciary because if on one hand you say uh, I, I I commit to uh, Think uh, that everybody knows, and it's going to be very simple because I want to be very transparent on everything. It's it's a limitation. Uh, so maybe it, maybe the, the 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 argument is going to be less of fees, okay? But it's a it's a limitation. Uh, it's a strong limitation because obviously you you don't want to work hard on improving something and then give your portfolio almost every day or uh, display the formulas and anything. You nobody would no company would do that. So. Maybe some investors find their, their, their reasons to on that. And for the replication, again, the, the problem with fiduciary is quite high because how do you feel responsible for the, the portfolio and the decision you take when you, you are just trying to filter the returns of others? That, that's a... No, they're, they're, they're a valid point. They're good points. So let me, before I hand it back to, to Alan, so let me then turn it to, um, you know, in a different direction, namely, so let's just say that people agree, I, I guess, with all of us that it's better to choose a manager. I have two, two questions for you, really. One is, if you were on the other side of the table, looking at managers, knowing what you know about design of systems and so on and so forth, I mean, what would be the things that you would look at in order to evaluate? Because I think, actually, I think our clients generally have a difficult job in deciding between managers because in many ways, we kind of look the same unless you say, okay, well, he trades 400 markets, he trades 50 markets. Okay, that's the difference. But the performance may not be that different, frankly. So from looking from the inside, with all the knowledge you have, Guillaume, how, how, how would you um, advise uh, investors to evaluate different types of, of uh, strategies within the CTA space or trend following space? Yeah, uh, so uh, I think that's a, a very difficult job to, to, to select manager. I don't pretend to have a the silver bullet to to select good CTA from the outside. Honestly, maybe if the if the the manager for a manager that came to be quantitative and systematic, obviously I I, I would have more uh, high uh, suggestion of question to 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 ask. Maybe uh, yeah, typically your question of how frequently you you reparameterize and stuff like that is a good indication because uh, I, I would not be very comfortable with that because then maybe the track is more the the, the, the result of the clever reparameterization or reallocation across strategy and all those things. So you are just the fact that maybe it's not so systematic that it pretends to be. And this is what we do at the company is to be uh, as, as transparent as possible on, on providing data on the, on, the, on the history of the fund because it's 
obviously going to to help investors understand where the returns come from. I, I think the, the question, I, I, we, we are investors with our own money, by the way, is, is you don't want to put money in things you don't really not sure you understand what they are doing. So it's simple as that. Uh, and, and so uh, the more, so we believe that we, we try to be as transparent as possible with investors on providing data, explaining what were the risk, where come the where do the returns come from? And I think that's uh, uh, I think it's, it's necessary to 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 reassure yourself on where you are putting your money. I know you mentioned you, you obviously have a subsidiary in China, so um, obviously I'm presumably trading the Chinese markets is 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 a key focus. So I mean a big kind of. Uh, topic and debate we've had here on, on the podcast is in terms of what's the right number of markets to trade and market selection and, and is there a benefit of trading lots of more and more markets um, and particularly from the perspective of the alternative markets which I guess you know the Chinese markets would, would, would be in that subset so what, what's your perspective on, on the benefit of trading those markets? So um so they, 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 you, we have a version of the strategy uh, on Chinese market, which, which is for onshore Chinese investor, by the way, to currently, which dates from 14 and which had incredible returns from farming. So it's a, and also from our research, it's it obviously is going, it's, it's very the, the, those returns are very complementary to the Western trends uh, and the Western returns. So the the strategy is quite obvious. Is we want to to have a the larger investment universe, uh, Western market and Chinese market, and 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 more generally, the the at first order, the question is the larger investment universe, the better, obviously. But then uh, some difficulties come is that th this this first order answer has come to the fact that you say okay, if if all those markets are uncorrelated, then clearly the the larger the better, and and your 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 sharp ratio is going to improve as square root of the number of markets. You know, this is this rule of thumb. So. It's wonderful if you start to compute a square root of 10, 100, and say, wow. But in fact, those markets are highly correlated, and that's why CTAs do not have a sharp ratio of 4 or 500%. And that's because markets are correlated. And so, so this is where, uh, again, the, we have to dive into the detail that you should have the larger investment universe, but not for the sake of having the larger number of investment, for the sake of getting a grasp on, on new risk factors, where you truly new risk factor, okay? But obviously, if I had uh, more and more uh, European equity indices to my investment universe, I, 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 it's not going to change things much. We know that. Huh? The, the question is going to be the marginal benefit of adding a new market, which might be very small, and maybe sometimes the, the operational cost of adding this market, because you start to go to non-deliverable currency, non-listed investment. Uh, so you, you add some specific risk and difficulties. And the question is going to be uh, the data quality, maybe sometime at some point is, is, is going to be an issue. So in practice, I would not, I will, we will not jump on the, any new market because we, we are very doubtful of the true addition it, it will add. So basically, more markets can be better if they're genuinely picking up new risk factors. And you think that's the case in China? And, yeah. yeah. And do not add... Uh, do not add specific risk or cost to the strategy. And the question is, and, and liquidity is obviously one of the, of the questions, because if you, if you start to, and if you, 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 you want 
to have scalable returns, then you, yeah, there are markets, you know, they, you're going to have some, some issues on trading them significantly. And so, so your flagship now is incorporating the, the, the Chinese exposures as well. Is that right? Alongside? Oh, no, not currently. We are close to starting a new flagship with the largest investment universe, and including China. This is, this is the, the big project for uh, 23. Okay, interesting. And obviously, um, you know, you're talking about risks. I mean, how do you think about the risk of trading in those markets where, you know, you may have geopolitical concerns or, or kind of tail risks of markets shutting down or capital controls being, being, being brought in, etc. Uh, um, obviously, these are all kind of risks that are not, as you say, captured by, by volatility and, uh, and the distribution of returns. Yes. Uh, so uh, I, it's, it's, it's difficult to make a, a generic answer because it, actually it's precisely depending on the, the type of market to understand maybe those specific risks that are not into volatility. Uh, I mean, if you look at, at Western market, we, we had lots of great surprise, not uh, recently, or I think of, you know, central banks uh, from time to time. So we don't need to go to China to, to find a surprise. Uh, and obviously, yes, the, the non-deliverable currency add a layer of difficulty. And we try to, we, we, I think that's, uh, we try to, we, to recognize all those risks. Uh, and then uh, I think that our model framework is, is nice enough so that we can put a price on those. So typically, we don't claim that being long gold in China is completely economically equivalent to being long gold in the U.S., and if we wa just want to be long gold, it would be better to be long gold from the US than from China because we acknowledge that there are specific risks linked to Chinese position. I don't want to stress on Chinese. It would be true for uh, all those markets, you counterparty risk as a general rule, uh, simply, or illiquidity, illiquidity risk uh, at the general. You, you need to put that in your model so that it not freely choose, uh, you know, uh, the good old uh, gold future uh, or... Uh, a sophisticated a TN uh, in some strange currency. I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, it sounds like very much more markets is better, but it's very much on a case by case basis. That seems to be the philosophy. Um, I mean, beyond trading Chinese markets, do you think, see another source of opportunity beyond there, like over the next number of years, that you think might be interesting? When you look at the at the liquidity of future market, the biggest commodity market are Chinese market. So it's it's a, it's it's very uh, there, there are few uh, U.S. market that looks big, but many of them are Chinese market. So it's just very natural to 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 have a look there. And then uh, to, we want to enlarge the investment universe, but we we want to be uh, cautious at the same time or as paths in terms of the operational cost and liquidity risk. You know, just staying on China, it's not uh, it's not a, a market that I have uh, any uh, experience with. Um, but one of the things that we see more and more, uh, and that we get asked more and more, um, uh, and especially to fill out uh, certain questionnaires, is ESG. And I have to say, I have personally struggled a little bit with sort of the. You know where where do you draw the line? The line uh, in terms of our industry, our strategies, um, relation to ESG. 
But frankly, and and I don't want to sort of, uh, but 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 frankly, to me, um, you know, like a country like China might might be a little bit um, different uh, in terms of of ESG. So how do you think about that uh, if you um, open it up to kind of um, more investors in in, in a new flagship uh, strategy? E- ESG is a, is a, is, a, is clearly a, a big topic. I think that uh, the, the the main difficulty is that. When you are a CTA, it's very difficult to first build a measure of any ESG risk because you, you aggregate financial of all currencies, all type of financial equity bond rates, uh, foreign exchange, commodities, and, and you need to, to have a measure. And, and if you look at what exists currently in the, in the ESGs, you have, you have scores by kind of instruments scores on equities, scores on bonds. But obviously, when you go short, it's not clear how to use those scores if you go short. So what, what, what we have done in terms of, of uh, ESG is first is to how do you aggregate scores from different sources? How do you account? How do you mix them? How do you account for the long or the shorts? And we, we came with a, a, a methodology that we have been sharing with in investor or academics and the, the, the feedbacks uh, are quite good and, and we have the opportunity to, to talk I think in some in some conferences few 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 months or years ago I don't remember uh, and this is where we stand first trying to to know what we're talking about uh, having a, 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 a measure of thing and obviously uh, at the end of the day some investor uh, we have a version the usage fund we have uh, do not include commodities and for many European investors, it's, it's it's just like that that uh, they they prefer to stay away for of commodities and and obviously uh, adding Chinese market you may have the same some investor mind yes draw a line obviously no no I mean that's fair it's it's actually funnily enough it's a question that is super difficult I think for for all of us to uh, kind of talk to and um, so I appreciate because you probably would have done some work on on this um, as as you've uh, indicated so um, I, I really appreciate that just another question that sort of springs to mind um, as I sort of see people's reaction um, to uh, you know what's happened in the last uh, year or so uh, in particular where as I mentioned in the in the introduction you know CTAs managed futures more broadly was really the the strategy that beat everything else last year but but often people still, uh, I don't think they truly embrace uh, having these strategies as a core investment at all times. They, they, they probably think, well, you know, if it did well, it's had a good run. Let's just get out or let's reduce and and we'll, we'll you know, we'll do something different. I mean. I know you are not necessarily on the client-facing f- side of things, but I'm sure you discuss it internally. I mean, what what do you what do you think is some of the hardest thing, and and how do you think about overcoming that in in the way you communicate with investors and potential investors, in terms of getting people to embrace what we believe should be a core allocation at all times in, in a portfolio. To to have investor uh, getting in on on the with the right expectation actually. Because the, the the investor getting in after a fantastic twenty two, there might be some uh, disappointment because obviously all years in a CTA. If you already claim that on the long run you will have a a, a, a seventy five sharp ratio, which would be great for a manager. I I don't speak about hundred. Then 
it's, it, I think it has to do with the, the statistics of the Sharpe ratio, actually, is that if you look at, it's difficult to estimate the Sharpe ratio. You need lots of time. And you have to admit that 75% Sharpe ratio, which again is a great Sharpe ratio uh, when you look at the long-term numbers, all the years are, are, are not going to be positive and pleasant. As simple as that, I would say. So, and it has to do also with, in fact, um, uh, behavioral finance, that we are risk-averse, we are loss-averse, we focus on the short term and we are fooled by randomness very frequently. Uh, when you practice statistics, it's kind of helpful because you, you, you have some, you, you can put some, some numbers on that. But when it's money, it's difficult because it's, uh, <laughs> we all hate losing money. But this is, uh, I think this is the beginning of the discussion with, in, with investors that appreciating that it's hard to measure a sharp ratio, we should, you should accept some. Uh, you should accept some volatility to get some return, trying to time CTAs. I mean, I, I don't know how to do it because obviously I would just put it in my model once for all. It's, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what we say to uh, clients and potential clients. Don't try to time it. We don't know. Even us who look from the inside, we have no idea how to do it. Yet that's what they do uh, at the end of the day. So it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah, it has to do also with the, the nature of risk. It's because you have a, a, if you believe that the risk of CTAs is the classic uh, random noise, Brunner motion, sorry for the, 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 this word, and, and convexity, then obviously you have to accept that there are going to be boring periods with no return on volatility and, you know, rally of performance from time to time. You can't time that. You have to be on board already. And actually, if you compare to carry strategy, where you are going to have long period of steady return and sudden burst, then maybe you could try to time that, uh, to time the moment to accept. But so maybe people also are applying to one type of investment, something that is just uh, not the right tool. You, you, you can't time, uh, the, the, uh, maybe it's difficult to type a volatile and convex strategy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think you're right. I think we, uh, investors, um, and including ourselves, of course, to some degree, I mean, we are conditioned by everything around us. Uh, and there's no doubt that, you know, timing investments is, is, is something that people spend a lot of time uh, doing. Uh, and, and also the, the, the so-called experts uh, on financial media uh, will try to, uh, to do it as well. So, uh, no, but I appreciate, I appreciate that. And then where do you want to go next? Maybe we have one or two rounds left before we wrap Absolutely. up. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe just to, to, to delve into then, you know, we talked about the client perspective. So, so thinking about the role of trend, obviously, in a, in a broader multi-asset portfolio, um, you know, it'd be good to get your perspective on, on you know, the typical questions is, is kind of that when you speak with clients is how much to allocate and uh, how, you know, is it, is it more funded out of the bond side or the equity side? Um, you know, and obviously if you run kind of historical optimizations of kind of bond equity trend following, you'll tend to get a much higher allocation to trend following that you t typically see in, in investors' portfolios. So do you think that people just, uh, do you think the allocation should be higher in, in, in line with those uh, optimizations or, um, or not? Yeah, you can deny that when you have a, uh, if you have a strategy with a, a significant sharp ratio, I mean, uh, very on the long run, uh, very in line with the sharp ratio of equities or bonds, I mean, on the long run, not only the, the nice, last 10 years, and close to, on average, zero correlation, 
I think it's going to be difficult to find a reason not to put uh, some significant share of that uh, into the portfolio. Then, but obviously, it's not that easy because you have to. It's it's not going to be an easy investment decision. But we see still we see the the, the many I would say highly sophisticated institutional investor that that came to a conclusion not so not so far from that where. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on the in the U.S. Uh, market, but I, apparently CTAs have a, a special position uh, among all the sort of edge or alternative strategy, and they're they're called also risk mitigation strategy. And it says something on the fact that you have a class of investors that understand quite well their, their, their benefit into a portfolio. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess um, kind of adding. Trend following our managed futures 101 is to yes, let's have an allocation. You, you then think some of these institutions who say, well, we're going to use trend within the context of a multi-asset portfolio. So is there something that we need to do to the trend following program to optimize it in that role from the perspective of should we cap the equity beta or should we, you know, um, look at the speed of it to, 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 to give us more protection and drawdowns, etc. Um, any perspective on, on whether they are good ideas or not? So again, I think being an investor is a, is, a, is a difficult job, and it's uh, so I, I I would not want to give advice and claim that I would do I would be smarter than them uh, because it's uh, so uh, it it's it sounds very natural. So okay, if I know that I'm going to put this CTA with my bond and equities, maybe I should tweak it tweak them a, 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 a bit. Uh, the problem when you do that also is that you you're going to confuse. Uh, responsibility because you know it's a problem of uh, having overlays and delegating overlays because we want to manage a strategy that have to not make money when equity market are done or, or, or whose quality depend on, on something that you don't control. It's going to be difficult to, to share uh, responsibilities and, 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 and benefits in this framework but I understand the, the reason. So if you believe on the long-term strategy statistics and say on average correlation is going to be zero sharp ratio should be good risk is quite well managed i mean this is one of the great characteristics of ctas maybe i'm wrong but i i've never heard of uh, you know cta blow up or cta drama uh, correct me if i maybe i am not the oldest and the most experienced but it's compared to other time of of type of strategy, it's quite remarkable. The the this positive skewness also that you don't discover the risk when things go really bad. Uh, yeah. Okay, and maybe just quickly, like obviously you mentioned how these strategies have found a niche and a place, particularly in institutional portfolios, among public pension plans in the U.S. with this kind of crisis risk offset label or crisis uh, risk mitigation strategies. And it does seem, you know, maybe in Europe. There's obviously plenty of investors in trend following, but but maybe there, we, we don't see that to the same extent. I mean, what's your perspective on why it's been, le there's been less of a take up maybe or less investing? You, you, you Certainly if you look across the, the, the wealth management space and multi-asset funds, you, you don't see it well represented, I would say. Um, curious to get your, 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 your perspectives on that. Oh, I, I don't claim to know, uh, you know, uh, have a global view on what investors are doing in the US and Europe. So it's always quite difficult to answer those, qu those, those questions. Uh, I think maybe there are still uh, misunderstanding on, on what it is that it's the, the, the 
the word edge fun sometimes maybe might say, okay, it's maybe too too funky, too exotic for my, for my portfolio. Well, actually, it's very liquid instrument and maybe it has to do with that. You compare to the most famous uh, edge fund strategy like the long short equity, maybe a, a, very, a too simple explanation where we uh, go along the good one and sell the, ba- the bad one and you take cars, you take computers and say, this one is the good, this one is the bad. There is a story. People understand that if you're good at detecting the the best car maker and detecting the worst car maker, you should do the obvious long shot. And for CTAs, I, I know it's uh, more complex uh, to, to explain you, you're using like correlation, convexity, I'm the first to do it. And so it takes more, more time to explain. It's funny you mentioned these things, uh, Guillaume, because actually um, in, in, in some of the conversations I've had uh, this morning here in Asia, uh, some of those very topics um, came up and um and and so i think it is uh it is interesting but let's just imagine let's just imagine people listen to this conversation guillaume and they finally it makes it all clear for them you know the, your explanation makes it all clear and we see a big inflow of money to trend following um which would be would would be wonderful but from a mathematical point of view from a research point of view guillaume because i think that's the other thing uh, that people will, I mean, I think people like finding kind of excuses as to why trend following shouldn't work or should continue to work, even though we have 50 years of of proof of real data, right? But is there such a thing as too much money in trend following in your mind? Because we know that the industry as a whole hasn't really grown for a long, long time, like 20 years, the AUM is probably the same. And, uh, you know, the AUM is slightly inflated, I would say, because they include Bridgewater, which is not really a trend follower, in my opinion. But then, of course, we also know that there are a lot of people doing it, probably internally, and they're not part of any index. So there is more money than what we see, I'm sure. But is there, and I, I don't want to uh, impose my opinion, but but is there, in your view, other than on a manager level, where clearly capacity can be an issue at some point, but is there, from an industry point of view, uh, any argument to say, well, I'm concerned about all the money in trend following? Um, I, I, I think there was a, a risk uh, and interesting views on that on, on the on the FT, if I'm correct, about, you know, CTAs are more minnows that Oh, than yeah, Wells. Rob Carver's yeah, article. You, you, yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I, I have exactly, I, I was very happy to read that because it's exactly my, the, uh, my opinion uh, coming from just numbers of the number... The, the number of managers, the UM is industry, the, the level of the magnitude of the leverage, and you t- you, you look at front of that for the size of the currency market, the size of the bonds or rates market, the the size of CTAs presumably is ridiculously small, in fact, uh, compared to uh, the size of other market participants. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical in the sense that I don't know, but I'm always skeptical when I see those comments that CTAs did move market. Actually, if we are trend followers, we never move market. We, we come just after what? I mean, we are not that smart to to move market. So maybe sometimes we overreact, but given our size, I, I reduce. But I know it's a very popular explanation. I, I cannot find a single figures or statistics that could... All, all the numbers I see would say that it's not... It's not far uh, from any, any, any risk yeah, of that. Yeah. I, I keep hearing that. So, yeah. 
And it's actually interestingly enough, uh, even though you said uh, you haven't been in the industry forever, um, but but that's like the other thing that that came up in my conversation today was actually this thing about you know has there ever been a well known CTA that's blown up? And and actually I would agree with you. I can't think of a single one uh, as well. So I think there is something incredibly robust about what we do. Now, just two things that we'd like to ask everyone, Guillaume, uh, before we, we wrap up. And I have a feeling what the first answer might be, but but I'm going to throw it at you anyways. And this thing about, you know, if there's one thing that you hear people say about trend following, so not your opinion, but if there's one thing you hear people say about trend following that you really disagree with, what what would that be? So there, there, there are not only one, but I would pick this you can one. Get, you can give us two or three. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. No, the, the the first one I think, and I think the reason why I don't like those things is that it's going to create to to create uh, mis-selling or wrong expectation. And 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 I prefer to, you prefer to have investors that understand uh, what they are in, what they have invested in. So the first one is CTAs are long volatility. That that's plain wrong. I mean. Uh, actually, we 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 churn on volatilities and CTAs. I mean, our strategy, and other uh, find the sense is you, we are long dispersion, maybe or or large move. But the, and I think this one is very toxic because then when you remember, so maybe it's over now. But do, all during that period, ten to to let's say twenty, any time the the equity market would spike down for a few days, you would have people say, but. CTAs did not get, go up, uh, uh, and, and, and that's, that's too bad because it means that, oh, and there were lots of comments on that, and it means that there was a complete misunderstanding of what to expect from our strategy. So this one, I think, is very toxic. So that's the fair, yeah. CTAs are, are, are long volatility. And yes, also about uh, timing, timing CTAs. I mean, uh, this is not helpful comment. Sure, sure. Do you want to throw in a third one, Guillaume, since you're on a roll here? Uh... No, I, I, I think it's okay. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> I, I was expecting the one I was expecting from you was this thing about the CT, uh, the trend following is easy, but uh, I think. Oh yes, you're right. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Fair enough. Um, you know, we're only in the early part of 2023. That's all, all already been lots of uh, interesting things, uh, exciting things happening. Um, um, looking at the rest uh, sort of of the year, uh, I imagine that the launch of your new fund will be exciting for you. But is there anything in looking at it at a whole and not necessarily just on what you do, but maybe at, at the industry level or or maybe even from a, a completely different uh, viewpoint? Um, is there anything that excites you, um, you know, or is there anything that you're concerned about when you look at what's happening right now? Uh, and how it impacts some of the things we do, maybe as an industry. Clearly, since twenty, we're witnessing so many events, change, change of regime, and I think that we are really into that. I mean, it's carrying on. You know, the debate on inflation and uh, and rates, and the the impact of high rates, the continuation or on or, or, or not of hikes. Many people think it's over, but so. This is clearly a, an environment where uh, lots of things might change in, in the coming uh, in the coming months or, or on year. And uh, actually, I think that uh, the benefits of a strategy like CTAs is you're going to uh, they're going to adapt. They, they have no bias or constraints that force them uh, away from those potential opportunities. 
that's the great thing about our strategies. You know, uh, if you're a long-only equity manager, there, there are situations where there's nowhere to hide. O on the opposite, uh, 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 CTAs might be much more flexible and uh, able to, 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 to navigate. Yeah, no, I agree. I think n nimbleness and and uh, flexibility will will probably be uh, in in high demand uh, as we work uh, work through this uh, environment. Guillaume, this was really fantastic. Thank you ever so much for a truly fascinating conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast and sharing your thoughts and insights with us. And we hope we can do this sometime in the future again. And to all of you listening today, I hope that you were able to take something from today's conversation onto your own investment journey. And if you did, please share these episodes with your friends and colleagues. From Alan and me, thanks so much for listening. We look forward to being back with you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged as we continue our deep dive into the CTA industry. And in the meantime, go check out the show notes for this episode and all the other resources you can find on our website. And not least, as usual, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.